They've been aggressively accruing physical gold into this wall of paper supply. We've seen World Gold Council estimates of 400 to 399 tons. It's a joke. They now have to keep printing or we crash. We've got this ticking time bomb. Talking gold with the one and only Andrew McGuire. Welcome to Live from the Vault. Welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran and I'll be your host for this episode and from the entire Live from the Vault team worldwide. We want to thank you for your continued support and as you can imagine, this community keeps growing more and more every single week thanks to you, our Live from the Vault uh, community. And uh, there's a lot to talk about here going on during these historic times and fear not because we have the one and only Andrew McGuire in the house and we'll be talking gold and this is going to be an amazing episode, so fasten your seatbelts and, you know, Life in the Vault gives you access to information and updates you just can't get anywhere else. And this episode will be no exception. And with that, let's head over to the UK and Talking Gold with Andrew McGuire. Now, Andy, I have a feeling that our 100th uh, market update episode will be referred to many, many times as we continue to move forward here. So let's start off this episode by... Uh, bringing us up to date on what happened in our last uh, couple of weeks here. Yeah, and that was the market episode. So, yeah, I mean, that's great to see you again, Shane. Great to be with everybody. Um, you know, this is all about education. It's it's about us grabbing what um, pieces of the jigsaw are floating around out there and putting them together as best as possible. Um, and really, so this 100th episode w w was pretty mega because... I mean, that was two weeks ago. I can't believe it, Shane. It's two weeks ago. But we looked at the, what we did was we looked at the upcoming bullish structure for 2023 and the reasons for it. And we also expected some short-term volatility, which we always experience into options expiry, which we just had last week. But the big boys' footprints told us that the spec-driven divergence between, you say it's the specs driving this price here, um, between the price capping bets, these were placed a year ago, last December 2021, it tends to be the December contract is the only contract where uh, both gold and silver expire at the same time, the largest delivery month of the year. But it is these bets are made a year ahead, usually a year ahead added to deducted from, but essentially a year ahead. So these bets were running into very strong physical markets. Now, this is that was really unforeseen at the time. How could you possibly, if you obviously you would expect that you could contain the market, therefore you'd make your bets a year ahead. And but anyway, so ran into some very strong, uh, unfactored physical uh, buyers. So, um, so this is ultimately going to have to be resolved to the upside as physical buyers are struggling to find sufficient physical supply at the COMEX driven synthetic prices. And it, they're being turned, what they do is the COMEX is being turned on to get physical and to fly it out to fulfill the orders. We talked about that last time. This has not happened very many times in the past, but this has been a more en masse movement. Now, obviously, you know, the, there's always plenty of gold and silver supply but only at the right price, not not at synthetic prices. And that's why we get these big delays uh, in, in delivery, refusal to take delivery, uh, especially in silver. But we'll talk about that in a, in a little while. But so really 
How this works is in an attempt to generate a little alpha on their positions, billions of dollars of bets against the price rises are made this year in advance, which if you can cap the prices, allows the house insiders to bank these bets and keep the synthetic game going. However, this game has always relied on being able to suck in sufficient speculator sellers. You know, the speculators are the guys who are in the COMEX. They have no visibility into the uh, into the physical markets. They have no in visibility in supply and demand. It's a dot on a screen and they can be led by the nose. And they have taken, it's, it's really, it's how much su supply you can get them to take the load of off the house insiders. Uh, you know, really feeding th th these these insiders are feeding these these uh, supplies into the specs. Now, as far as gold was concerned, these spec-driven naked short bets they really have failed to account for the effect that Basel III NSFR regulations would have on the paper to physical balance. And as far as silver's concerned, it did not account for the global physical markets turning on the COMEX for physical delivery. Now, with that difference in mind, we really we have to look at them both separately. Yes, Andrew, and, and I guess this leads into what the 100th episode was really all about, what the BIS was doing and what this was telling us. Yeah, Shane, I guess what we were really trying to highlight was that if the central bank of central banks was buying gold, what the heck are we doing sitting on the sidelines was the question. Now, it amazes me as to how no mainstream media wants to follow these footprints. So as, as you say, let's start uh, and let's start with a high altitude look at gold and then we'll look deeper. But as we assessed last time, reaffirming our January, January 2021 ass assessment, which is like, as I say, a, just over a year ago, and, and we clipped uh, a little bit um, at the open of the 100th uh, Live from the Vault episode to, to say that this is what we were saying at the time. We came, what, what happened was we came along with our first tier liquidity providers and bullion bank contacts, contacts. We knew that this central bank elephant was lining up to enter the room exactly one year later on the 1st of January 2022. This happened. And how this was going to ultimately force the Bank of International Settlements to square up all its over 500 tons of leases that came into the market this year. And they had to square them up by the end of this year. And, and that's been happening. And so we picked up on this thread directly after even stepping back a bit, after the March 2020 EFP implosion, you know, the exchange for physical implosion, which is, you remember we talked about this, where we have this break between the, 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 the uh, paper market, the physical market, uh, the, we had COVID, uh, the, the refiners were shut down, uh, people turned on the liquidity provider and said, give it to me. They didn't have it. So they had to uh, go to the COMEX to cover their shorts. Well, the, we, we saw up to $100 spreads per ounce between in, the, in their attempt to cover this. Now, um, so really, uh, so basically what we picked up on this thread after this March 2020 uh, implosion, you go back to those episodes, they are, it, it's all there. And it forced the Bank of International Settlements to bring forward, forward these net stable funding ratio com compliances in gold to rescue, literally rescue the taxpayer, the too big to fail taxpayer funded banks 
exposed to a 70 trillion gold derivative market from absolute collapse. And this inevitable blow up was exactly what we warned uh, now Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey about following uh, our concerns being read out in the Houses of Parliament on the 8th of July 2019. It's all on the records if you want to look at Hansard minutes. And we detailed this in detail in several prior episodes. But there is so little doubt now that this multi-trillion dollar unregulated gold derivative market tail risk had to be addressed. And if you remember, Andrew Bailey said, admitted, but we, there is no regulation. We don't know what's going on in the over-the-counter markets. This forced the Bank of International Settlements to put their own house in order quickly. And they had needed to close off the derivative bets against gold. And it's been a slow, steady process. But Western Central Bank gold derivative unmined process is underway, which had to be conducted actually in the face of competing global central bank buying. There is competing central banks out there looking to actually buy gold. And this was a very difficult situation for them. And this event also telegraphed that the BIS themselves would ultimately have to become themselves net, net stable funding, funding ratio compliant forcing them to square up and repatriate what was left of pretty much 50 years of accrued naked short bets laid on the books of the agent LBMA banks. And of course, these banks are privileged to have gold accounts with the Bank of England. So we also estimated it would take the BIS a full year to exit these bets. And that's pretty much what happened. And we covered this in much more detail in our last episode, where we drew this public attention to the BIS footprints. And it was no surprise that our Live From The Vault subscribers were able to evidence that the gold swap repurchases had been accelerated into year-end compliance. And it captured the BIS October, it was captured in the BIS October statement. And, and there it was, they only had seven tons to cover. And further to this, our first tier contacts, we, kept, we talked about this last time, really said, Pretty much they covered the last seven tons uh, onto the spec driven dip into the 1618 level. That was about that was about the low. We saw a turnaround there. And once they've squared these positions, there's no reason for them to actually start to want a lower price because they're looking to accumulate. And I mean, look, they need to bolster. They had to rebolster their site accounts because when they look after other central bank positions, gold positions, although nothing physical has ever left their site accounts, we talked about this for three years now, at least three years, nothing ever left there, but they laid the paper liabilities onto the books of the too big to fail banks. And of course, these banks then had to be repatriated before a gold price revaluation. Re now, if the key point we were trying to underscore was, if the central bank of central banks are going long after 50 years of fight price suppression, then long suffering stackers should be emboldened. And we never say borrow money, but a stacker, when you turn your, 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 your fiat money into something physical, uh, and especially we're talking about gold and silver here, but anything tangible, but gold and silver, what you've done is you've actually now protected that your, 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 your positions, your, your, your actual, your protected your assets. Now, the issue here is that during the course of this 2022 year, 
as these gold derivative bets were repatriated from the agent central the bullion banks, who clearly had a central bank guarantee against these leased out gold positions. Uh, but the very fact that this 10 times larger uh, directly related un undeliverable COMEX, these COMEX positions that were directly related, they had to be physically backed by these same uh, agent market making bullion banks, which really opened up the COMEX Achilles heel. We've talked about this. This is that exchange for physical mechanism because it is simply the ability to take a COMEX position and, and use this long-standing mechanism which has usually been abused to hell over the years but actually can be turned upon the, the, the uh, turned upon the comex to take these uh, these comex positions and actually transit them into the over-the-counter market which is deliverable because it's non it's nsfr compliant now, look this wasn't a big issue for the comex before before we, as we moved into march 2022 and we had the Russia-Ukraine event. It wasn't an issue because the bullion was being readily offered in the 2000s in the spot market. Because as a result of net stable funding conditions being, being enforced, uh, the spot market li liquid liquidity providers had to back up their FX gold positions with physical gold bullion. Now, as a result, this is the key issue, as a result of higher prices, bringing in real bullion for sale from producers, from all manner of people, gold was in the process of organically beginning to find its own real level. Breaking out above 2000, as the COMEX EFPs flowed into the, this NSFR compliant spot market, it forced the liquidity providers to buy bullion to back up these outflows. It's a win-win. Then as we recall, we got the March Russia-Ukraine incursion and the sanctions, which was pretty much the sanctions that caused the issue, which triggered an officially orchestrated paper gold sell program. Now, a paper gold psyops operation to counter gold being monetized in Russia, that is. And there's little doubt this operation was actually manna from heaven for the BIS. Now, the officially sanctioned counterintuitive psyops operation, please, Go to Wikipedia, look up PSYOPs. It is, 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 it is actually usually a wartime uh, a, a thing, but it can be used in multiple instances. But this was a PSYOPs operation. It was instigated to halt the natural safe haven war premium in gold, triggering very large Delta hedge futures buying. And I'll explain that in a sec to offset longstanding embedded bets against gold. Now, all Delta hedge futures buying means is that it simply forces people who've made short bets against gold, i.e. you've shorted the futures market, uh, probably made a year ago or more, uh, either to be bought back, closed, but really delta hedging is, is, is when you then have to buy a long position to offset that short futures position. It can trigger a huge short squeeze because the more it rises, the more you have to buy to, fact, to, to cover those short positions. So if officials had not stepped in, a physically driven short squeeze would have driven the US dollar, and I'm talking about the US dollar price of gold here, above all time highs. We have other currencies where that has already happened. Now the official intervention was a war measure event, and albeit powered 
by a wave of undeliverable paper gold being shoved into the market, it gave the BIS the time to cover by buying back leases and swaps um, into this counterintuitive discount. But what this wall of counterintuitive paper supply did was to actually force this massive disconnect between the paper market and the physical market. We said, this is going to happen. You cannot simply swamp a physical market with paper. If you do that, and this was officially sanctioned, we knew that at some point you're going to have to unwind this. Um, so as an example, if you remember, we saw uh, it culminated in October. We saw $15 per ounce wholesale kilo bar premiums. We remember we reported them in Dubai. They were feeding the massive Indian demand. They were happy to pay $15 an ounce more for wholesale supply. Indian, this is. Indians are savvy buyers. Subsequently, what happened was a natural arbitrage process. It really, it has largely closed this price gap into, but it's this tightness in supply into very strong demand that put the usually undeliverable COMEX open interest positions in the crosshairs for physical delivery. Absolutely, let's go take, give it to us, they're saying. So unlike silver, because gold futures, EFPs feed into this Basel III, compliant over-the-counter market, this EFP conduit has been providing a very low friction way for central banks, uh, BIS, but also competing central banks, of alchemizing COMEX paper gold into physical. Well, now, a Andrew, with such a large uh, central bank bid under the market, you had mentioned that this is going to change the gold market from a sell the rally market to a, a buy the dip market. Is that what you're still seeing right now? Yeah, Shane, it, it's, it's literally all about the limitations. Uh, the extent that this synthetic price setting envelope can be pushed has been determined to what extent these market making insiders who are exposed to both COMEX and deliverable over the counter markets to the extent they can lay off this the short paper exposure on the speculators. Obviously, you have to instigate a sell order for somebody else to take it. And the question is, is where you buy it back. And and so if you do it very stealthily by using your algorithms um, and literally these HFTs, we talk about them. Uh, these are the house led HFTs. They have huge. They are directional, whereas the speculators really have no directional. They, they're not directional algorithms, but they but by cleverly tricking them, you can lead them by the nose to literally inversely correlate to something like the dollar index, which is what they have done this time, because the dollar index happened to go up to 20 year highs. And so that was the plan this time. And they've used HFTs to lead the algos. Usually, I mean, these net neutral algos really are just trying to gain a ticky side. They have no direction, but they are led by the nose. So really, this is the balance point. So what I'm trying to get to, it is this that is the balance point that we've been focusing on. And yes, it's changed the stance of the market into a buy the dip market, Shane, as you say. It's, it's also worth reminding ourselves that the insider bullion banks have been going along for their own books ever since this March 2020 blow up caught them unawares. We talked about that many times. So really, if we had to summarize this, since Basel III NSFRs were implemented in January of this year, this 50-year paper-to-paper EFP squaring mechanism has become the COMEX Achilles heel. And it's offering the ability for global central banks and big traders 
and insiders to easily convert paper gold and silver into physical, but this in turn has accelerated the drain of paper market liquidity into the physical markets, while leaving the tricked-in COMEX speculators increasingly holding a large, undeliverable, naked-short position, underpinning by far less gold each and every time that this happens. So much so, um, while lower the lower lays of these, we talked about how these speculators kept doubling down their bets because they were led to do so. And we ha how some of them got rinsed before the end of the month, um, you know, options gaming. We always talk about options gaming. There's always, it's, options levels are magnetic. They tend to be hit regardless. They're synthetic. Um, but if you know where, how they've diverged from the physical market, which is what we're trying to say, then it becomes an opportunity. Uh, but these speculators have not yet reacted to this bullish change in behavior that we're talking about. And it's still, you're still seeing these ETF outflows. So they're not caught catching on to what this means. It's, this is such a bullish setup. And it's not, we're not saying that this is going to rally in a straight line to the moon. We never are saying that. It, it will take time for the speculators to wake up to the change in behavior. But when they do, it'll be too late to cover off some of these naked short bets into what will probably be a bid-only market. And as we have reaffirmed last episode, the last 10 months of synthetic selling has driven cheap gold into the hands of global competing central banks who've been given the tool to convert paper diluted spot gold into physical. I mean, goodness me, they've been aggressively accruing physical gold into this wall of paper supply. We've seen World Gold Council estimates of 400 to 399 tons. It's a joke. That's a joke. And that is that is a fraction of what is actually going on. India alone has consumed more than that in, in through through its smuggling and various markets. Now, the ultimate it, look, this is the ultimate form of alchemy that's underway. But even better, the synthetic overshoot of physical support levels is really causing. We kept drawing attention to it. We called attention to it. Uh, Dave Kranzler drawing attention to it. Other people are drawing attention to it. This is causing a 2008 like paper to physical disconnect, the likes of which have not been since, since the trigger point for really what was a three-year uh, $1,240 rally from 680 bucks. So look, very, very short term, the just expired op December option structure capture this equation perfectly. So we now turn our attention to the January option structure, which goes into expiry in December. We're recording this on the 30th of November, but at, by the 27th of December, this is the January contract goes into expiration. So as best as possible to discern what to expect, while 1800 is undoubtedly being capped, as we are trying to illustrate, this is a structural bullish parallel, not evident since October 2008, ahead of a very physically driven short squeeze, which is exactly what happened back then. Everyone was still betting that the, the, the downtrend would continue. Furthermore, this is what indicates um, that this, this structure for the December 27th expiry. It really indicates that the spec bets against the house between 2,000 and 2,400 are extremely vulnerable for a rinse here. They're the only ones not knowing what the hell is going on. So cutting a long story short, 
We've been tracking this inevitable paper market unwind closely each step of the way over the last two years. And very early on, it became clear that the paper market jig was coming to a close. But it would take until Basel III NSFRs to be fully implemented in order for the paper sham to be forced to compete with an increasingly global physical marketplace. Whereas we see now the previously ring-fenced COMEX is coming into the crosshairs for loadout of their paper positions. Loadout meaning not just a warrant shuffling settlement, but somebody's backed up to that COMEX door, uh, warehouse door, and says, give it to me. Wow, that sounds like a fascinating times coming up here, Andrew. And uh, now earlier on, you had mentioned that uh, silver will increasingly act differently to gold. And maybe you can expand on that, so, uh, on that part a little bit here. Well, of course, I knew silver would come up, Shane, <laughs> and we're very happy to talk about silver because we, it is, it is, um, it's a metal that we, we view in great uh, reverence because this is, this is, um, a metal that is going to be so fungible and usable, uh, over the years, um, to come. And especially as we see all these, the banking system unwind and problems occur, you know, really, it's going to be useful to have little pieces of silver. Um, to exchange for uh, for exchange for goods, in, in, essentially. So if one is even not thinking that, you're crazy, really, at this point, because if you look at the banking system, and we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, people over the next few weeks, who are, and, and we've, we've, we interviewed Lynn Alden, we've introduced some really, really, I mean, loads of people, Alison McLeod, so many people, all seeing the same thing. This is not a coincidence. The banking system's broken. Anyone who's not actually now gearing up to take personal responsibility, and there's no excuse here, guys. Silver is so accessible to anybody. Gold, maybe less so to everybody, but silver is accessible to us all, no matter how small you are. And the big difference in the silver market that we're seeing versus gold obviously is that it's the little bit of vol extra volatility because it's non-NSFR compliant. So when we see SI, the Silver Futures contract, EFP'd, it ends up arriving in the unallocated, um, in unallocated, unallocated form in the over-the-counter markets. So because it's non-NSFR compliance, they can and do refuse to sell the bullion to match these positions or they will demand a very large premium Overspot, which which kind of negates the whole fixed process, and makes a joke of it, but at the very least, it create they create delays, and and I think it, look if there was a real price for gold and a real price for silver, then it would be immediately available and it would not have a premium. It would be the fixed price. So wholesalers have recently turned on the Comex again to load out bullion from the Comex vaults, catching market making insiders way offside here. And as we've been assessing, while silver is joined at the hip to gold, silver not being an SFR client, and which gives this paper, it's expanded this paper to physical disconnect, which is even more pronounced than in gold. So leveraged silver shorts are even more vulnerable into a gold price reset. And as we assessed last time, having dislocated the price far too far, the COMEX has come into the crosshairs for delivery, which it was never designed for, which will force market making market uh, markets holding the market makers holding eligible silver 
an eligible silver just happens to be in a COMEX registered vault and is eligible to, com to be converted into a deliverable registered contract, but it is literally just sitting in a vault not, not for sale, they're going to be forced to convert these otherwise undeliverable bullion holdings to the registered category. If they didn't, the COMEX would be forced into a force majeure condition. And we saw that in nickel. But with a COMEX, you can't allow, the COMEX cannot be allowed to default like the LME. It would simply cause the whole CME uh, futures market to collapse. People would lose confidence. So obviously it's not going to happen. So really what we're saying is anything that's, even though you see the registered inventories being drawn down and they don't match what are supposed to be delivered, what's going to force the insiders to do, and they won't like this, is to take this eligible silver, which is in their accounts, to put it into a deliverable contract. What do you think they're going to want to do? They're going to want a better price. So essentially what we're saying is this is a part of a bullish process. They're going to have to actually allow a higher price. Now we can already see that the COMES registered open interest is at an unprecedentedly low level. And any further loadouts, which is the bullion physically exiting vault doors, any more drawdowns are going to cause a big silver short squeeze. Structurally, also very similar and by no coincidence what we witnessed in 2008. And we've been tracking these insider efforts to, to cover, if you remember, the SLV, the ETF, the illusion of silver that we call it. This, this um, essentially, this this ETF um, has been building. That we've seen insiders building a short position. Now there can be legitimate reasons for creating a short position, but it got excessively big, and so what they were trying to do was cover it. And um, but they've been hampered by these EFP demands and loadouts, really simultaneously sucking out registered silver, which they really needed uh, to cover these positions to address these vapor-thin vapor physical uh, supply shortages. Now, the insider run, high-frequency trading algos have been targeting every ounce of silver they can from naked short specs, uh, which, which, like gold, has driven the largest physical-to-paper disconnect again since 2008. We're not the only ones seeing this. Kranzler seen it. Every, you know, other people are seeing it. But silver was at eight dollars and fifty cents last time we we saw this condition, and then we saw a three-year forty over forty dollars uh, short squeeze into May two thousand eleven. What we're saying is the structure is there. So really, and when you've got the COMEX, and even then the COMEX was not being targeted like it is now. Look, footprints also confirm even more so than gold that it has been the specs who have been up set up and really used as we've talked about it's been used as patsies into this hft rigged orchestrated 10-month unwind process which they have been subjected to leaving them holding this bag but also pushing price to the point it put the comex machine into the crosshairs for delivery of undeliverable usually spec held naked short positions so we detailed um, in the past how European, Asian, Indian wholesalers needing silver have turned on the COMEX to buy and take delivery of COMEX silver at a tiny insignificant cost to fly it out to meet pent-up demand. Again, why wait when you can get it? And they just expired December 
uh, option structure, it's still reflected that the specs are driven as offside as possible, but there's not enough naked short supply to close off these inside uh, uh, SLV short bets, which is what, really what this discounting was about. So this is why the options resistance at $22, you can see that the capping at 22 was phenomenal, why it has been so aggressive clearly directly related to this SLV short position and why there's been a coordinated attempt to cap um, silver from closing above 22 into options last week. In fact, while the SLV sh uh, sh covering, short covering sweet spot is still at 20 bucks, there's a problem for insiders trying to square up these SLV shorts. They have multiple times attempted to get it down to 20 bucks. There simply isn't enough spec short open interest to use as cover. And given the COMEX is in the crosshairs for physical delivery uh, into offsetting loadouts of the New York vaults, they're pretty reluctant to dig a deeper hole. However, uh, the January, now that's the December 27th options expiry. So it's a January contract, but it, it's expiring at the 27th of December. That options expiry is a wholly different structure, exposing the specs lured into betting against $26 through to $28, um, currently protected by insiders capping silver uh, into the end of the December for their own purposes. It exposes these specs, as we've said before, to unlimited losses. These end of year shorts provide a lot of short cover for the insiders on the long side, of spec shorts accrued since silver was net was sold short at 26 bucks back in March. And we expect that gap closed to ultimately get closed. So to sum up, given the tight COMEX inventories and strong Indian premiums, the COMEX is definitely in the crosshairs for physical delivery and loadout. So as much as insiders want to discount silver futures to assist in squaring these large options related underwater um, SLV shorts at 20 bucks, it is doubtful they can incite enough fresh spec shorts to take the offsetting load. If they did, believe me, it would be a huge opportunity and very, very short lived. Uh, as I say, we've moved into a buy the dip the market. Gold is also commanding strong Indian Asian premiums. And despite a coordinated effort by a range of Fed speakers, we've seen them coming out, spinning hawkish messages. We've got uh, Powell coming out again. He's bound to spin some hawkish messages. And it's been lifting the dollar, <laughs> dollar index, but the dollar index is looking a little heavy here. And it, obviously when it rises, it weighs on the metals. But really we, see, we should be seeing much like in 2008, we saw gold and gold rising alongside the dollar. So people, you know, when, when you see these correlations break, that's when the, the fireworks really happen. And I think that's what's going to happen. So, you know, obviously right now we see a tick up with the dollar and they see both metals moving down a little. Uh, and it really gold's been acting a little bit better than, than, than silver for that, for the very reason that it will be, um, it will be probably the first out of the gate. Now it's also, but it's also in the crosshairs for physical delivery, but rather than the higher friction loadouts, because it's Basel three compliant, gold is being drained through the EFP process. What, why go and load up at the back door when you can simply use that process and it's, uh, and they're forced to deliver it. The dynamic is seen Gold futures act stronger than silver futures, with gold futures maintaining its short-term range really inside the bull ranges. We've seen that, dips getting bought. 
but from a very high level, we should anticipate capped ranges until January the 27th, uh, options expiry, after which we should see that cap come off, guys. All right, Andrew. Well, you know, as this show goes live, we've begun, can you believe it, the last month of 2022. Can you uh, maybe tell us what you're seeing from a very short-term pers perspective here as we conclude the year? Yeah, right now, with all of the larger picture in mind, um, I guess this is what we see very short-term. And, and really, if you're a stacker, don't worry about this. I mean, coming off the thinly traded um, short, we had a shortened Thanksgiving holiday. We've we just came off the back of it. This week's end of month action. Look, we're on the last day of the month here. Still evidences a bullish structural condition as we headed to the end of the year. Now, following the heavy capping into uh, options last Tuesday, where we just separated the options action between Basel III NSFI compliant gold and none NSFI compliant silver. The focus remains on the action into this December and, uh, and uh, gold and silver expiry. And, and, and it just moved into delivery yesterday. Um, so deliveries are already looking extremely robust on after one day of delivery. Obviously, we're recording this on the 30th of, uh, of, of November. So to that end, we'd assessed, you know, this is just to illustrate the footprints. We, we'd assessed really following the options exercise structure uh, was settled. It suggested three things. And the exercise structure simply means when options expire, then the, the, um, the, you have to make a decision. Do you want to take the profit on that options position or do you want to roll your puts into a short position or do you want to roll your, your calls into a long position? So based upon that structure, it indicated we should expect some short term but shallow downside, what we call rollover air pockets um, for, uh, as these things get unwound for both gold and silver, but that they would be shallow. And as anticipated, these began playing out immediately after options. But so the second thing we would look at is the underlying Basel III compliant gold structure forced the house and central bank insiders to hedge these long deliverable spot gold foreign exchange positions backed by physical with short COMEX positions. So it looks like when you look at the COT report, it looks like the speculators are going short. No, that's misread by analysts as bearish bets. While the bulk of the competing long COMEX exercises actually converted these options bets into long positions, we're actually seeking loadout of physical delivery directly from the COMEX vaults. So, you know, yes, you would hedge that position with a short, with a short futures position, but only till you take delivery. Now, whereas while silver is not net stable funding ratio compliant, due to the fact that there is a shortage of physical supply at COMEX derived synthetic prices, COMEX registered inventories come into the crosshairs for physical delivery, also turning silver into this buy the dip um, offsetting uh, market, offsetting these downside air pockets. So very short term, that's what we saw. So bottom line, as before we wind up here, the telegraphed options expiry sweet spots provided very few surprises. This is like reading a book. As expected, gold closed into options one tick below its sweet spot, which was 1740. It was 1739.90. I mean, goodness me. And following heavy capping at 22, silver closed magnetically close to its 21 midpoint, uh, 21049, I think it was. I mean, but... As expected, 
Attempts to sell down further into the 20 level was thwarted by massive, massive loadout of activity in silver futures. Now, so with specs still unaware of physically driven change of behavior and that the vault doors are being prized open short term, we're fully anticipating first notice related volatility to continue as we move into the end of the month, which is today. But looking at the conversion rate of paper gold warrants to physical loadout, it became clear that we're very close to the rally inflection point. Now, we do have non-farm payrolls on Friday when this is released, so that should be the last obstacle. But we do not expect any upcoming bearish um, Bank of International Settlements uh, drama today, which is highly unusual. Why? Because they've covered their positions. And any gaming, so we'll be insiders gaming the end of month squaring uh, While well, they positioned long for January options expiry on December the 27th. So I guess really it just leaves one and one question only. How much physical do you guys own? All right. Thank you, Andrew McGuire, Talking Gold. And remember to our entire Life in the Vault community, buy physical and make sure it's one-to-one, -one, by the way, and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino paper gold and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets they're not the same don't be fooled and there you have it that's all we have for you today on another fascinating episode of live from the vault now keep help us spreading the word about this channel by hitting that like button share this information with everyone you know and also subscribe click on that subscribe button if you want to uh, hear from us in real time as each episode goes live just hit the bell right there and you'll be uh, notified right away. And with that, we'll see you next time on Live from the Vault. See you then.